You are listening to Pandora's Box Radio with Kalia LaRoche. For more information about my products and services, counseling, coaching, hypnotherapy, books, and audios, please visit NarcissismFree.com or PathBackToSelf.com. Hi there. Welcome to Pandora's Box. This is Kalia. And today I'd love to kind of cover with you how I got into not only narcissistic abuse, but what was under it for me was this fascination that I had when I was younger with sociopaths and psychopaths. I just had a real desire to understand. And this started with the serial killer Ted Bundy. Um, A lot of you probably have heard of the serial killer Ted Bundy was one of the most famous serial killers who was murdering young women in Washington State mostly. And I grew up in Washington State and Ted Bundy was dropping bodies, you know, very near to where I lived. And of course, I knew about this and it created a lot of fear and, um, you know, wondering, okay, you know, who's next? And that fear, you know, for me, when I'm afraid of something, then I work harder to understand it. So I started developing a fascination with trying to understand the mind of a psychopath. And I ended up um, reading the book, I believe it was called A Stranger Beside Me by Ann Rule, who worked next to Ted Bundy in a crisis clinic. And he was one of the nicest guys, she thought, you know, her experience of him was he was real gentle, he was really kind, and he was one of the best when it came to talking someone down off a ledge, so to speak, when it came to people calling in that were suicidal or in crisis, that he was right there and he just knew what to say and what to do. And he really, on the one hand, saved a lot of lives. But on the other hand, he's out there, you know, basically looking for his next victim and using all kinds of interesting methods like pretending that he had a broken arm or um, things that would appeal to the compassion in young women when he would ask for help and then, um, you know, lure them to his car to try to get their assistance because he was, you know, handicapped. He had one arm in a cast or whatever. And then he would uh, kidnap the women and kill them. So this was something that was really fascinating to me, obviously not in a good way, it was horrifying, but how someone, how the mind of a psychopath actually works. So I started becoming interested in this as a teenager when he was doing his thing, when he was really active in the Seattle uh, area and you know he he kind of moved I was out in the country I was a couple hours away from Seattle so he would uh, drop the bodies they found bodies close closer to where I lived and things like that 
and he was known to have made an appearance in the town where I went to school and you know it was just too close too close for comfort so the next thing that happened was that I moved as a a young woman I moved to Spokane Washington which was on the eastern side of the mountains and I lived on the south hill of Spokane where there was a man called the South Hill Rapist that was raping women right and left all over the South Hill. And whenever a woman was raped, someone would take a spray can of red paint and draw the outline of a body on a sidewalk near where she was raped and right in that inside of that outline of the body, a woman was raped here. So I walked all over the place and I would walk over these, these spray paint outlines of bodies that said a woman was raped here. And of course I developed a fascination with who, who is this guy? Who is this, this South Hill rapist? Well, he used oven mitts and he put them in the victim's mouth to silence their screams when they were being raped. And he also raped the DJ that I listened to. Her name was Sunshine Shelley. And uh, she, she had her station, the station that she worked for was up on the South Hill as well. And, you know, to my recollection, a lot of this I'm telling you is just from my memory. So pardon me if I get the facts wrong a little bit, but I think she was coming out in the wee hours of the night from her shift and he was waiting for her. He had been stalking her and waiting for her and uh, raped her violently. So that was too close for comfort too. You know, somebody that I was familiar with that I really loved. I loved her personality and I was really horrified by what happened to her. And of course, horrified by what ha was happening to all these women on the South Hill. Well, what ended up happening is the South Hill rapist had a girlfriend who, of course, didn't know what he was up to, but was starting to suspect because he had these cycles and he was had strange behavior and things were going on. And he would disappear into the basement and she went down to the basement and found in the trash some bloody oven mitts. And of course, she knew that the South Hill rapist was using oven mitts to silence the screams of his victim. So she called the police, which led to the arrest of Kevin Coe, the South Hill rapist. Now, Kevin Coe was a realtor in the area, and he came from a very prominent family. His uh, family owned the local newspaper and um, was actually reporting on what was going on. So it's just a, a real interesting turn of events. So he had the master key to all these houses and knew, I mean, he had the files. He knew where the single women were and things like that. And I don't know how many rapes were him letting himself into homes 
of women that were listing their homes for sale and had a lockbox on their homes in which he had the key. So it was a pretty, a pretty scary time in which most women were in fear on the South Hill. So everybody rested a little bit easier after that. And there was a man that wrote a book on that called Son, a Psychopath and His Victims. And I read that book. So I tended to read the books to absorb all the information I could. And then I found out he did a lot of research. And this man shopped at the grocery store that I shopped at that was only probably an eighth a mile from my house. It was very close from where I lived. So there were all these awarenesses that I probably saw him. I probably passed him. He probably even sized me up because I was a young woman. However, he tended to go for women that were shorter and had auburn colored hair, which met the profile of his mother. So he had a very strange relationship with his mother, which is why the author of the book Son named the book Son, because this crazy relationship between he and his mother was what uh, caused him to have all this rage and anger that he took out on women that had the same basic profile, shorter auburn haired women as his mother. So this is where I got my start in my fascination with psychopaths. And I also dated a sociopath, very, very short term. He was a very charming man. I met him at a party in Seattle when I was living in Seattle. And the way I found out that he was a sociopath wasn't from his behavior. I caught it really early because he invited me to dinner with he and his grandmother. I guess he went every week and had dinner with his grandmother. And his grandmother pulled me aside and said, honey, you look like a really nice girl. You seem like you're really, really a good woman. And you don't want anything to do with my grandson. He is a diagnosed sociopath and he has nothing to offer you. He cannot love you. And I was pretty shocked by that because by this time, I knew that Ted Bundy and Kevin Coe were both referred to as sociopaths. So here I was, you know, sleeping with the enemy, so to speak. And I ended the relationship quite quickly. And I didn't have the same kind of effects as with, narciss with the narcissistic relationship. For some reason, it was relatively easy for me to end that relationship and just walk away and leave him behind. I didn't have any particular attachment um, at that time. So it was it was pretty easy for me. I also had a strong connection with women who had been abused. So I had become a clinical hypnotherapist by the age of 
26 and I opened my own counseling and hypnotherapy practice in Washington State. And I tended to attract a lot of abuse victims, a lot of physical abuse victims, emotional abuse victims, sexual abuse victims that had childhood sexual abuse. So they came to me and I even had an experience where I was on a bus one time and a woman that was up, um, she was up in the seat ahead of me across the aisle and she turned around, she looked right at me and she started telling me that she was escaping an abuser. And it's like, why did she pick me? You know, it's almost like people knew that I could help them. And this is, you know, this is before I had very much experience in working with abuse victims. It was almost like I was born to do this. It was some kind of destiny, which explained why I had a fascination to understand the minds of psychopaths. And then it took, of course, getting involved in a narcissistic relationship which was very different you know my my relationship with a psychopath was very or a sociopath i gotta you know look at the differences there there aren't a lot of differences i mean a sociopath has no um no guilt no remorse no shame you know that they're that they're working with they don't have empathy or compassion where and this is what i originally learned I originally learned that your sociopath didn't have guilt, remorse, or compassion or empathy, where I learned that narcissist just didn't have compassion or empathy. So a real defining mark of a narcissist is a lack of empathy. So it gets, it gets a little worse when you don't have guilt or remorse because this allows the serial killer to take the lives of their victims without having any guilt about it, without having any remorse about it. Whereas, you know, you're, I don't want to call him a garden variety narcissist necessarily, but a narcissist um, does have a lot of shame at the core. Now they may not be aware of that shame, but they have shame at the core and so they will experience guilt and they will experience remorse um they're not likely going to dwell on it but it's there in the psyche and so that is probably why a lot of narcissists don't escalate to be killers killers and and rapists and things like that now a lot of people that are arrested for for being serial killers for murder are diagnosed as narcissist because a sociopath or a psychopath are always narcissist because they don't have empathy or compassion, but they also don't have guilt or remorse. So it's a real crazy world inside the mind of these personality disordered people.
you know, you throw in the borderline personality and, um, you know, a lot of people who, who listen to me or who uh, follow my work are borderlines. They have borderline personalities. So I want to be really careful and compassionate and understanding that borderline personalities and probably a lot of narcissistic personality are evolved from pretty intense abuse in childhood. Sometimes narcissistic personality comes from um, being being really inflated by parents, like parents don't hold them accountable for things that they do or worship the ground they walk on or, you know, my little Johnny would never do anything like that and they protect them and they don't they they don't discipline them or hold them accountable for beating up a kid at school or something they they might come from the um, from the view that that kid probably deserved it or probably did something to my little Johnny where he was just acting in self-defense or you know so so they're not held accountable oftentimes and a child who is not held accountable who is always allowed to get away with whatever they get away with they become entitled they don't think they should be held accountable and they think they should get to have whatever it is that they want and so this is often the makings of a narcissist, but so are incredibly abusive environments. Ted Bundy, he was interviewed before he was executed. He was on death row in Florida for quite a long time. I guess he must have killed some people in Florida as well, but he was being interviewed and his interview, I believe, is available still on Netflix. And I started to watch it. I just don't have the same fascination today that I did when I was young. I could only watch a part of it. And it was like, I can't watch this anymore. It's just too much. You know, it was, it was intense. Let's put it that way. But he said he came from a good family now we don't know if that's true because his mind is pretty messed up but he said he came from a good family but he got involved in porn and uh looking at magazines and things like that when he was young which he felt is what led him to uh killing women so it's really hard to say i mean there are so many factors to the making of somebody that has a personality disorder but we really are concerned with those people who can take from others and hurt others without caring about it and you find that in narcissism and you find that in sociopaths and it's it's really the dark side of humanity people who don't care that they hurt others they don't care 
what they take from others. They care only about their own desperate hunger to be fed whatever that food is for them. In the case of serial killers, you know, they have bloodlust. They, they might be, I mean, there's a lot of theories, but it seems like they're so ridden with fear within themselves that they somehow want to see that fear in somebody else's eyes. And that's what some sociopaths or psychopaths have said when they were serial killers is that the only time they really felt relief from their fear or the only time they felt alive was when they were taking the life of another and seeing the fear in their eyes. It's really, really grotesque. But there are things that motivate people like that, that we can't understand. And I think that's really an important piece when you are recovering from having danced with a narcissist, whether it was in your family, whether it's in the workplace, or whether you had a personal relationship or a marriage with a narcissist. You cannot get inside the mind of someone like this and understand because your mind doesn't work like that. So it's very difficult to get inside the mind of a serial killer or a rapist or a narcissist who exploits others for their own satisfaction, for their own needs without any concern for the people that they're exploiting. We cannot get inside the mind of people like this because they're of evil mind. I've had to really look at what evil is. And we often think evil is something that we can see that's really obvious. You know, we might see a haggard looking man walking down the street that has really dark, menacing eyes and go, oh, that guy looks evil. But that's not how evil typically shows up in our society. Evil can so easily be a wolf in sheep's clothing. And it normally is. You see narcissism and sociopathy in the heads of major corporations, in politics, in churches, and in places that you would not expect to find it. And that's something that I've learned in my life, and I know a lot of people that I've worked with have discovered this painful truth that we cannot see it on the outside. We cannot see 
that evil because it is masquerading as goodness. It is masquerading as that preacher on the pulpit that everybody loves, that's very charismatic and gives the best talks. Or it's mask as that politician that everybody loves, who has all this charisma and that's a great speaker and says great things about how he wants to help the people. It masquerades as presidents who have a lot of charisma, who people love. So it's not easy to spot. And one thing I hear over and over again from clients is, why didn't I see it? Why didn't I see it? Well, give yourself a break. It's not easy to see. And I even have clients that say I could spot a narcissist a mile away now. That's not necessarily true. That is not necessarily true. You may have been with a certain variety of a narcissist, so you think you know what they look like. But the thing is, is that they show up in all kinds of different suits. They don't always present in the same way. And that is why if you have a pattern like I have of getting involved with narcissistic people, that it's a little shocking when you realize somebody is just another narcissist when they were nothing like the one before. And that's the mistake that so many of us make. You know how we really spot a narcissist or a sociopath? It's when we develop a very strong relationship with our intuition, with our inner knowing, with our gut that says something isn't right here. And I'll tell you what, with all of the people that I've worked with, a large majority of them have told me that in the beginning of their recognition of a narcissist, it started with a feeling like something wasn't right. There's something wrong. Something's not right. Something's amiss. And this is what we have to learn to trust. Even when you meet somebody, and I've heard these stories too, you meet somebody and your gut says, ooh, he's trouble, or something's, something's off with this guy, or, you know, there's something I don't trust about this woman, or, you know, it, it's like your body wants to tell you but you have to learn to listen. You have to listen to your body, to your intuition, to that part of you that knows. And when you start to listen and you don't dismiss what you know, you can get away. But we have this other part of us 
that dismisses because we see things that we really like. We see things that we really admire in a person. And so we start focusing on that. We focus on what we, what we like, what we admire, what we love. And we don't listen to that part of us that says something's not right here. I remember that they had this online test that I took that's basically was a spot a sociopath test. And these were convicted sociopaths, basically, people that have been arrested and diagnosed as a sociopath. And they had photos of an, a normal person that was not a sociopath and a sociopath next to each other. And basically, you had to check the box of which one you thought was the sociopath. And there were 10 of them. <laughs> so I went through taking the test. And I got 100% of the sociopaths when I took the test, I was able to pick out every single one of them. And did I do it by studying the picture? No. No, I took that test so quickly because I listened to my gut. It's like, okay, which one is the sociopath? Oh, that one, that one, that one. You know, I just listened. And I hope that should I ever encounter another sociopath in my future, I would be able to trust what I know, trust my gut. And that's probably the biggest thing that I can teach is trust your gut, trust what you know, learn to trust your gut. Because a lot of clients will come to me and we talk about intuition and they say, I just don't, you know, I'm really um, don't have strong intuition. But then they start telling me stories of things that they saw that they ignored. And, and I say to them, you know, you do have strong intuition. You, your intuition is fully intact. It's fully working, but you're ignoring it. So that's something that we have to learn not to do is stop ignoring your intuition. Start listening, practice listening, practice developing that inner knowing. Because it will guide you. It will tell you who is safe and who is not. <laughs> 